Well, thank you. That was very nice. And I want to thank everybody for the wonderful gifts they've been giving us all month. I've been eating good. And if you don't know, I'm into eating. I'm eating and drinking coffee. So, um, yeah. And uh, boy, did we have fun last week. We went out, uh, we went, we flew to Denver um, for our, you know, most people go to like Hawaii for their 30th anniversary and stuff. My wife wanted to go to Mount Rushmore. I'm like, Mount Rushmore? Uh, but it was wonderful. We flew to Denver, and then we um, went up to Nebraska, and um, we went to the Badlands and the Black Hills, and we went to Mount Rushmore, and, and uh, then we went to Wyoming and saw a lady who had killed elk, and man, they had big old horns like this, and um, then we went down to a place called Estes Park, and we literally saw elks fighting. That was cool. And then there was one elk that was digging his horns into some mud and stuff about two feet in front of us. And somebody comes up and says, I think you better get in the car. And uh, so I did. So, uh, but we had a wonderful, wonderful time. And we ate and we ate and we ate. And so, yeah, uh, we had a great, great, great time. Uh, just some things I, I, I want to mention. Um, if you, if you haven't figured out yet, our country is nuts, and our federal government is nuts. Oh, by the way, we did get the money from the state, finally. Um, they were about to make me lose what little religion I have, um, but uh, we got that, and God protected us. Sometime I'll let you know. Uh, we're going to have a Thanksgiving Sunday. I think it's the 24th of November, and I, I want, really want to communicate thanks for that because, honestly, um, a lot of people gave us money and, um, and, and, or lent us money, and, and a lot of lenders called, United Way, and different people called, and, and even the bank said, here's $50,000 if you need it, and um, we didn't need it. And so, yeah, that's pretty cool stuff, you know. And um, so it was a, a miraculous time. In light of our country and in light of the Reading area and in light of the Muhlenberg area, um, folks, I'm going to start praying. And don't feel pressure, um, but I'm going to start praying at 5 o'clock every Sunday night. Um, folks, we need, JC mentioned it, we need revival in this area, okay? Um, somebody asked me the other day about Reading, and I said, well, the last two mayors are in jail. Um, and I, and I, I say that, and I don't say that facetiously. I mean, there's something that's not right here, you know? And Muhlenberg has 47 holidays, and they're all surrounding the demonic, and, and I, I just... Folks, we need to be the center of an outpouring of God in this area, okay? And, and, and I watch this church, and we do this, and we do this, and we do that, and, and things kind of, we get a little excited, we, get, we peter out. We get a little excited, we peter out. Because we haven't had revival yet. Let me explain revival, okay? Um, in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, uh, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, Jesus is working with his disciples. And, and he worked with them and worked with them. He worked with them for, for three years or 30 years. 
and then three years specifically in ministry, and they were still knuckleheads. You do get that, right? In the Gospels, they were still kind of struggling. They were still kind of people that just... I mean, the night before Jesus is going to die for them, they're arguing, and they even had their mama talk to Jesus about who could sit on the right and the left. I mean, they were knuckleheads. You get that? You know? He said, but what I want you to do is I want you to wait in the upper room together. I want you to pray. I want you to fast. I want you to come together. And there will be what? he called an outpouring of the Holy Spirit or Pentecost or revival or whatever you want to call it. And all of a sudden, you remember the, 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 the day Jesus or the night before, the day Jesus was crucified. You remember what the leader of Jesus uh, group did? He had denied Jesus. His name was Peter. He denied Jesus three times. Does anybody remember that part? And Jesus told him he was going to do it, i.e. knucklehead. Amen? You understand what I'm saying? When Pentecost came, when an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit came, are you listening? All of a sudden, that same man who had denied Jesus three times was standing up in the face of those same people And he preached one of the greatest sermons in human history. They went on, and that small group of people transformed the world in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, let me me help you with something. If that doesn't inspire you, you really need to look at yourself and go, am I a Christian? Is God really living inside of me? Do I care about the things that Jesus cared about? And see, this is very important for us to look at because too often we just kind of go to church, go home, go to church, go home, go to church, go home. But there's a lost world out there that need to hear about the love and power and grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? You know, to do that though, We need the power of God. And that's what revival is all about. Okay? And I'm just going to start praying every Sunday night at 5 o'clock. I anoint the school. I anoint the church. I anoint um, people that leave here are oily. But the thing I'm saying is, is that, guys, we all need this. We all need this. Reading needs this. Muhlenberg needs this. We need this in our homes. We need this in our families. We need this in the church. We need this. We need that outpouring. I've seen it happen. I went to a church in, in, in Texas, and, and they were good people, but they were kind of dead as a doorknob, you know? And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and God came, and these people who just kind of showed up for church, all of a sudden, some were called to the ministry, some uh, uh, became the great leaders and teachers and, and different things in the church, and it was a wonderful and powerful and wonderful thing. We saw the same thing in South Jersey. We started a church. God came in a mighty and powerful way, and hundreds of people came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, a million 
millionaires and motorcycle gang members. I mean, it was just, it was just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Okay, that doesn't happen because we just kind of show up to church. Okay, that happens when the people of God get serious. That we need the power of God. We need the spirit of God. We need the glory of God. We quit worrying about the stupid little things that don't really matter. And we worry about the things that do matter. And let me tell you something. Our children and our grandchildren and our young people, they need to see that. They need to see that. They see all the church they need to see. But do they actually see the power and love and glory of God? So very, very, very important. That's not my sermon. You get that for free. All right? But uh, today we are, we are studying what I consider one of the weirdest and wackiest books of God's Word. I mean... I read that book and I go, what? Let me tell you about this book of Hosea, okay? God comes on this prophet Hosea and, 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 and tells him to go marry this woman of ill repute, adulterous woman, and just love her and love her and love her and love her and love her. Now, the church struggles with that because the church seems to think, well, we need to look at that. We need to look down at that woman. Remember the Pharisees in Jesus' time? They brought that woman that had kind of been Ill, in ill repute or adultery, and they bring them to Jesus, and, and they're trying to trap Jesus, and, and they're trying to say, what should we do with this woman? And they expected him to say the, the things according to their attitudes and their dictates and their laws. And, and Jesus, I love Jesus' response. It was wonderful. Ye without sin cast the first stone. They're all kind of standing there. And twice he gets down and writes stuff in the sand. Now, we don't know what was in there, but I speculate that what he wrote in the sand were some things that they had done. Because nobody chucked a rock. Amen? You know? And, and, and basically, he loved that woman. Now, let me explain something he did at the end, though. He said to that woman, where'd all those accusers go? And she's like, I don't know, they're, they're gone, you know. And he looked at her, though, and he said this. And here's the missing part many times. We like the love and mercy of God, but too often we don't want to hear this part. He looked at her and said, now, go sin no more. In other words, your lifestyle you know has been bad. You got off the hook on this one. You know I love you. You know I protected you. You know I care about you. But the bottom line is the thing that you don't do is go act like that again. Are you with me? And I think that's a, a progression as we get into this that we need to understand. Because too often people are like, I'm, I'm really into the love and mercy and tenderness and kindness and forgiveness of God. But they forget that when God does that, he doesn't expect you. It's kind of like your kids. When you forgive them and, and you know, you don't beat them too bad, you, you kind of hope that they, they don't go out and do that again. Amen? Well, that's the same with us.
if you, if you look at the Old Testament, the Israelites or the Jews is, is, is basically who he's talking about. They just, they get better. They go out and do the same thing. They get right. They go out and do the same thing. They get right and go out and do the same thing. Here's the thing I want you to hear, okay? Are you listening? No matter how many times you sin, God still loves you. God still loves you. The power of the cross and all that it meant is yours. Now, you can hear church people and, and fundamentalist pastors that tell you, well, you're going to get to the point where God's going to get tired of that. Well, the bottom line is he's tired of it from the beginning, but he still loves you. He'll still forgive you. He'll still accept you back. He'll still restore you. He'll still save you. He'll still set you free because he, he, he loves you. He always has, and he always will no matter what. See, that's hard for some people. Because they're like, well, you know, I mean, seriously. And I hear this, well, you know, there's going to come a time when, you know. No, there's not going to come a time. If you're out there doing your own sinful thing, you need to understand something. God's coming out after you. He leaves the 99 people at the church, and he comes out there and loves you where you are. Is everybody with me? This is hard. This is hard. Because the sad part is, the church is known for this solid standard of holiness. You know, we don't like those people. The cool part is, Jesus died for those people. You know, well, those people are out of line. There aren't too many days that I don't do something out of line. I see all the holy people squirming right now. You know, preacher, you're not supposed to admit sin. Well, get over it. The reality is, sometimes I sin. Do I want to sin? No. Do I like sin? No. But do I? But every time I sin, I have an advocate. I have a cheerleader sitting right next to the Father cheering for me, saying, listen, I died for that sin. I still love him. I still love her. I still will. I'm standing there with arms wide open saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He never says, now you change your lifestyle first, then I'll accept you. And church, are you hearing me on that one? See, too often we go to people and we're like, well, you know, if you stop doing that, then Jesus will love you. Wrong. You let Jesus love you and you will stop doing that. And isn't that key? It's called grace. Amen? It's called the love of God. It's called stepping into the kindness of God, which brings repentance to our lives, which brings change. 
And see, this is such an important book of God's word. It really is. Because, and it goes so against my human religious narrative. Because in my human religious narrative, I'm supposed to separate myself and not love those people. And here God is calling this prophet to go out and buy back and love and marry and live with this lady who had committed adultery over and over and over again. And I'm like, really? And then I remember me. And I'm like, instead of saying, really, I'm going, hallelujah. Because I, like everybody else, am in need of a Savior. Amen? You know, I'm in need of somebody to help me through this. I'm in need of somebody that will accept me, even though I've been a royal sinful knucklehead. Amen? And you want peace in your life? Don't just be accepted by God. Be accepted by God and go live the love and mercy and tenderness and kindness of God. And all of a sudden, all this anger and anxiety and frustration begins to dissipate because you're not sitting around mad at everybody all the time. Is everybody with me? I just think this is such an important, important book because the bottom line is it's all about something that kind of humanly goes against our religious uh, ways, our religious thinking that, boy, there's wrong and then there's right. Well, there is. God is a God of justice. Amen? Amen? But let me help you with something. You don't want just justice. Are you with me? If all I get is justice, I'm toast. If all I get is the justice of God and I get what I deserve, (laughs) just between me and you, I'm in a big heap of trouble now, boy. You young people don't know what that was about, but we old people do. All right? But the bottom line is, God is also a God of absolute love. A God who is absolutely, eternally committed to your life. Are you listening to me? God is also a God of tender mercy. You know where we get in trouble? Is sometimes we don't want to be merciful, so we struggle with the idea of God accepting me because he is merciful. Are you with me? This is is hard stuff. This is deeper stuff. It really is. But that's who he is. And that's what he's all about. The Lord said to me in Hosea 3, go show your, show your love to your wife again. Now this is after he had married her once and she goes back out into adultery and is, is living with another man. 
Now, just between me and you, I'd be looking at God going, have you lost your mind? You know, that's how I feel sometimes. I'm like, are you nuts? But you see, this is representative of Israel or the Jews who were constantly going out and serving other gods and worshiping other idols and, and falling back into sin and coming back and falling back into sin and coming back and falling back into sin. And what God is trying to say is, no matter what, I'm here for you. Please hear that. Please hear that. Because there's too many people, and, and here's the thing you've got to be careful of. If you've been hanging around the church too long, and you've hang, hung around judgmental people, that's a hard one for you. It's hard for you to believe that, you know? But he's saying, no, 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 no. Just like I'm telling Isaiah, Hosea to buy her back and make her your wife again and live with her the rest of your life. That's who I am. That's how I feel for you. That's what I want to do in your life. Go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sac sacred raisin cakes. I like raisin. No, I'm just kidding. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a, 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 a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with, an, with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. For the Israelites will live many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Could you imagine? You that have experienced adultery. They tell me it's like a knife in the heart. It's, it's, it's the worst pain mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally you could ever, ever, ever experience. I hurt for anyone that has experienced that. My heart goes out. I mean, my heart breaks. I, I just, I, I always as a pastor wish I had the right words to say. You know what I'm saying? I, I wish I could say things to make everything okay and, and better, but I know I don't. I, I know I don't. I, I can't imagine. But God comes down on that person that's been treated that way and says this. Here's how I want you to love. I want you go, to go, and I want you to buy her back. And I want you to love her and live with her and treat her with honor and respect the rest of your life. 
That's a love and a call that goes well beyond the average person's ability. (laughs) If you understand what I'm saying, I mean, wow. You know, it's, it, it just, it, it, it's not fathomable for me to actually expect that kind of love and that kind of, of, of powerful commitment to somebody that's willing to basically forgive, come back together as one, to be willing to trust to be willing to, to live together and commit themselves. Not saying, listen, as long as you, he's saying, you come back, you're supposed, this is how you're supposed to live, but I am committed to you the rest of my life. The first thing I want you to hear is that's God's love and attitude toward you and toward me. Because every one of us has been spiritually adulterous to God. Every one of us. Every one of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Probably over and over and over again. But what God is trying to communicate to us this morning is, you need to understand, my love, my commitment, my mercy, my compassion, my willingness to forgive is not like yours. My ways are higher than your ways. I have an ability far beyond you. And all God's people said, hallelujah, (laughs) amen. You know, thank you, Jesus, amen. Tomorrow, when you do something sinfully stupid, please remember this. Because there's gonna be a voice in your head telling you you're not worthy, isn't there? There's gonna be a voice whacking at your heart saying, you don't deserve God's love. Anybody ever experienced that? You know, you've done this same thing too many times. Anybody? You know? And God's saying, I don't care if it's 70 times 7. I will still love you and I will still love forgive you, and I will still allow you into my kingdom as one of my children. No matter what. No matter what. You say, well, well, pastor, this seems too good to be true. And and pastor, there's going to be people who take advantage of of this situation. And and they're just going to come and they're going to go back and they're going to come and they're going to go back and they're going to come and they're going to go back. Yeah. Yeah. 
They are. But that last verse is the key. If you come and you go back, you miss the great blessings of God. Now, I want you to remember, if you go out here and you do something sinfully stupid and and you sin, he's always standing there. Amen? But you don't experience the great richness and the power and the healing glory of God out there when you just continue to go back and go back and go back you miss exactly what God is there for. So I, I laugh at people. They're like, some people take advantage of God. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Think about taking advantage of God. Have any of y'all ever gotten over on God? Isn't that silly? You know, that's that's kind of silly. That, well, you know, some people, no, that's more about you because you want to control them. You want to make sure they do what you think they ought to do and, and that's how it ought to be. But the reality is God's got everything under control and he's got a plan and he died 2,000 years ago and he rose again three days later and he sent the person of his Holy Spirit and he's standing there for us all the time saying, listen, come on in. I will love you. I will save you. I will watch over you. I will heal your mind and your heart. I will care for you. I will absolutely do things in your life that you can't believe. I will watch over you. I will watch over your marriage. No matter what happens to you, I will be there for you and I will be sufficient no matter what. Did you hear that one? I will be sufficient no matter what. Let me ask you a question. Why would you want to leave that? Amen? But here's the final key. You want the blessings of God? Step into those arms of love and allow him to love you even though you know you've been a spiritual adulterer and every one of us have. I'll say it again because most of you missed it. Every one of us have. Everyone. Okay, step into those arms. Let him love you. Let him save you. Let him set you free. Let him make you secure. Amen? Let him make you secure so you don't have to control everybody around you so that no matter what somebody does to you, you can love them, those spiritual adulterers, just like God loved you, you spiritual adulterer. And all of a sudden, instead of looking around saying, 
that sucker ain't getting over on me. I'll tell you what, he or she did this, I'm going to do that. Man, am I frustrated because they ain't got theirs yet. You ever said that? Huh? All of a sudden, the love and grace and mercy and tenderness and kindness of God begins to melt all that junk that doesn't belong in your mind and your heart. And all of a sudden, instead of having all the fears that somebody may get over on you or you may not get what you want, instead of being isolated and feel like, man, I got to build these walls because people, they're crazy and, and man, I don't want to be around them. They're just, they're just nuts and they'll just do stuff. Instead of sitting around and blaming people, instead of, instead of all that, all of a sudden you begin to say, hmm, yeah, they did that, but I've done worse. I've done worse to God, and I've done worse to others. And the almighty creator God of love has accepted me and allowed me in his kingdom. And he loved me. And he healed me. And he set me free. Hmm. Maybe by that same love, I can love that person that's done something to me. Maybe instead of walking through this world in fear of people that they may do something to us or, or a fear that they may get over on us or sitting around being frustrated that they're not getting theirs after they've done what they've done, you begin to say, you know what? That's not worth it. It's not worth it. It doesn't do any good. All it does is stress me out. All it does is make me angry. All it does is make me frustrated. All it does is basically pull me away from God. All it does is wreak havoc in my life. But that's not who we were created to be. We were created in the image of God. And God's image is one that loves no matter what. God's image is one that forgives no matter what. God's image is one that is compassionate no matter what. I've asked the, the team to come up and sing. I want them to sing that child about being, uh, that child, that song about the, the, that uh, uh, Bren um, sang about the, being a child of God. In other words, that's your cue to come on up. See how smooth I am? It's my prayer this morning 
that you've actually heard and are willing to inculcate what I've said into the very depths of your mind, the very depths of your heart and your emotions, into the very depths of your soul. Every one of us has been rocked. Every one of us has been scarred. Amen? Everybody. Every one of us has had somebody that you thought was your friend or good relative or whatever stick a knife in your back. Amen? If, if you haven't, you can leave. You're done now. And we've got a choice. We can either decide to live out here and say, I'm going to handle that. Amen? I can, I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to get them back. Or I'm going to make sure they get theirs. Or I'm going to be as miserable as them. Or, huh, I'm going to step into the arms and the kingdom and the salvation of a God who loves me no matter what. Who forgives me no matter what. Who loves me and forgives me and cares for me no matter how many times it takes until I get it. Hallelujah. This morning. I don't know about you, but I love my kid. Most of, I mean, yeah, I love my kid. And I love my grandbabies. And I want them always to know how much I love them. I will die for them. You don't believe me? Mess with them. No, I'm, I'm, you, know, you know what I'm saying. They're my kid. They're my grandkid. If I was old as Roy and Diane, I'd have grand, great-grandkids. But this morning, I hope as you walk out of here, and don't forget, everybody just go straight over to the fellowship hall and we're going to baptize those two beautiful little girls, okay, this morning before we go, okay? Everybody's welcome. Everybody's, get your kid first. Everybody's welcome, all right? But I would love for you to leave today knowing I'm a loved, forgiven child of God who will be loved forever. Who no matter what I do, will be accepted back into the family, no matter what. Because he loves me, and he loves me, and he loves me. Amen? I hope you leave here today saying, that's who I am. That's who I am. That's who I am. No matter what my circumstance or situation might be, that's who I am. Amen? Let's stand.
Here's the last thing I want to say. The greatest thing you can do is leave this place today and love others the way God loves you. Forgive others the way God forgives you. To care for others the way God cares for you. Amen? Hard stuff, good stuff, tough stuff, deep stuff, but stuff we need to hear. Amen? Let's sing this song together.